as we see on this side of our big family this week, we're looking forward to Thanksgiving with family and friends. But let us start right now. We're hard to be thankful. Come on. You know what you went through when Jesus found you. You know the place that you were at. You couldn't cover your sins. Your good works, anything you did yourself, it was not great enough. Jesus had to come and die on the cross for you. For those who believe in that word, we died on the cross, believe in faith, that we died and broke off the curse of sin in their life. We can stand in you. We can stand in you for the So let's sing that again when I call. And let's believe it. Believe it now, he's working in our lives and in this church. Come on. You answer when I fall. 
want to just take you to a place this morning. You can be full of God. I want some of our elders and deacons quickly, if you could come up, please. Elders and deacons, we're going to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can be full of God. God's power, God's love, God's grace. God's whole person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not a, he's not a principle. He's a person. He will live inside of you. Jesus said, the Father and I will make our home with them. I went to God to some of you. Let's get some God, more guys up here. I went to God to some of you. Would, would, would test God. In these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters. So it's not a gender thing. Young and old, it's not an age thing. And they will prophesy. Hallelujah. You will speak the word of God boldly. You will be new people. As the band plays, for the love of God to overflow, as, the band, as we sing that. Some of you guys need to come up here. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, you need to come up here. We'll pray for you. God will fill you. If you just want more of Jesus, come up here. We'll pray for you. God will fill you some more. They were continually filled. Come on up.
He has a sovereign power to do so. The problems with us, our sins have separated us from Him, created a canyon of sorts between us and a holy God. He cannot allow us in His presence. Where is God? Another question you want to ask that not a lot of us ask is how does God feel? How does God feel when He sees how you spend your weekends, how you spend your money? How you look at the world. How you look at others. How does God feel when he hears the words that you come out of, that come out of your mouth when you think no one else is listening? How does God feel? Not a lot of us ask that question, but it needs to be asked. I dare you to ask that. How does God feel when he looks at you? In Genesis chapter 6, God saw the extent of the wickedness of the human race. And it says he was grieved. God's heart was broken. Because our thoughts were totally and consistently evil according to the Bible. Our sin has separated us from a holy God. He looks at us with love, but He's grieved. Our sin will destroy us. We all know about Noah's flood. The world was so wicked, He destroyed them. I want to ask you, what will you do? And what can be done to fix your problem with God? To fix your sin problem that has separated you from the Father? In John chapter 1, verse 10, in your Bibles, you can turn there, talking about Jesus. It says this, He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right, that word is actually power, He gave them the power to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. What will you do, friend? Jesus has fixed your sin problem. He died on a bloody cross on your behalf. Every wicked thing you ever done that deserved punishment was taken on that cross. He fixed your sin problem. He can close the gap between you and the Father. Amen. He can give you peace with God. He can make you a child of God. What will you do today? I urge you all, to those who received Him, to those who believed in His name, it's that easy. Receive Jesus, believe in His name. It says He came to folks, but they rejected Him. You don't have room to reject Jesus, okay? If we're, on a, if we're on a sinking ship and I'm offering you a lifeboat, you don't have room to reject that lifeboat. You may not recognize him, but it's shouting in your heart this morning. Come to Jesus. Receive Jesus. Believe in his name and receive life and be a child of God. I would ask you all to stand up. You're going to have the chance to respond to the gospel. To, to have a relationship with God today, to have your sin problem fixed, to be a child of God this morning. I want to pray for you all. Jesus. Father, Jesus. thank you for, for the good news. Thank you for sending your son into this world to die for our sins. God, I know that, that in my own right, I'm guilty. I'm guilty as charged. My sins separate you. I couldn't touch you with a 10-foot pole. I couldn't come near you. And Lord, the only thing I deserve from you is not blessing, but punishment and hellfire. And God, if we're honest with ourselves and the lives we've lived, that's what we deserve from a holy God. But you loved us. And we thank you for that love this morning. I pray that you will shout into the hearts of men and women this morning, especially those who are not right with you. 
especially those who don't recognize you, especially those who are rejecting you and, and, and looking for reasons to turn away from you, that you shout into their hearts this morning, get a sense of urgency to make it right before it's too late. You will freely forgive them and you will make them children of God. We thank you for that precious gift you offer. In the name of Jesus, what we want to do now we're going to say a confession of faith. And if you would like a handout of that confession, you could uh, just raise your hand. We have ushers who will hand that to you. You can have it. You can take it home with you. So you can just raise your hand. You can get a handout of this confession. We're going to say this together as a church. This pretty much encapsulates what we believe as Christians and what the Bible teaches. And if you want to live for Jesus, this is your MO now. This is your modus operandi. You're going to live for God and you're going to live by these beliefs. If you take it seriously. So we want to say this together. Everybody has their handouts. At the count of three, I want you all to repeat this with me. One, two, three. I believe in one God and Creator, who is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in His death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit that makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. And you can come and talk to them. They'll pray with you. They'll lead you to Christ. And they'll plug you into discipleship. Let's let's greet somebody. Shake some people's hands you haven't met yet. God bless you all.
Amen. So that's our vision here. The way we go about that, we have a strategy. We like to connect people to Jesus. Amen. Because without Jesus, everything else will fall. So we connect people to Jesus in some cool ways that we do that is through a life group. Somebody say life group. Life groups. Now life groups we have throughout the week, different places, different people leading about. Join them. It, it, it is an awesome time of people coming together. Not coming up and saying, well, I'm better than you. This is what I have to tell you. But tell me, hey, you know what? There's some things going on in my life. Let me just share, live life with you. That's what the church, that's the whole idea of the church. Coming together, breaking bread, having a good time. So life groups are happening all throughout the week, and we got some cool things happening right now. We're actually doing the Truth Project. It's a series, it's a 12-week series. We're watching videos, and it's engaging our minds to think about what God is and how to explain it. Because we don't just come here just empty-minded and say, we believe in Jesus, and if you don't, you're wrong. So can you explain that to somebody? In the life group right now, what's happening, the Truth Project is going out, and it's getting down to the deepest parts. Like, man, I didn't know that. And it's challenging you to think. So it's a good time. Come on over throughout the week. Be a part of it. Someone say, I'm going. I'm going. Amen, amen, amen. That's our strategy. And our goal here is five, 500 churches around the world. 50, I'm sorry. We gotta help me out. Just help me out just a little bit. 100,000 disciples in Chicago. 50 churches here in Chicago with 500 around the world. Man, I have been here for the last four years. I'm screaming at that point. I'm serious. Come on. Praise the Lord. I'm saying that. Amen. Ties and offer. Y'all can stand to your feet for me, please. I ain't going to keep them long. We're a church, y'all. And the light bills don't get paid because Angel Gabriel comes and sends a check for $1,000. I mean, God uses people to pay off some of the things that are going on. And everything we're doing is free. We believe in it. We believe that when we do these things, God is changing people's lives. Amen. So a tithe is 10% of your total income. And an offering is whatever you give to God after your tithe. Amen. In some places you can give the tithe. We, um, um, rather, offering is for missions. We have all these things that we're saving up and ideas. And if you believe, with the, believe in what God is doing here in the church, come on and give as you feel that. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and read this passage. Um, Luke 6.38, amen. Let's read it on the count of three, nice and loud, believing, proclaiming the word of God. This isn't what Adam wrote. This isn't what some guy wrote because he got bored. This is what God says to his church. Come on. Let's say it, believing, proclaiming, like, man, God, I'm believing and holding on to your word. God, you said it. God, you keep your word, amen. So on the count of three, nice and loud, let's go ahead and read it. One, two, three. Luke 6. I'm sorry, let's try that Traditional, let's say Luke 6. I'll say Luke 6 38, and y'all just read this. Okay. Luke 6 38. Give. Give it to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will matter to you. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray, Father. We thank you that everyone's clapping because they're excited to give, God. We bless your name, God, because we know that you are faithful. You are faithful, God, and you keep your promises. And as we say that, God, Lord, we just believe by faith, God, that you are doing a good work in this church, in our lives, and the families that are represented here. We trust you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on up as you give. Come on up.
Hopefully you enjoyed Pastor Adam this morning. Wasn't that awesome? with me to James chapter 2 verse 14. So glad that you're here this morning. Amen. God is moving in this house. We're trying some new things and uh, man, Pastor Adam did a great job, but he reminded me of why we say the vision every week. <laughs> so we don't forget it. Amen? Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying this nice weather. Uh, just going out with my family, having a good time. Uh, my girls love to jump on the trampoline. And that's been fun for us. And I've been thinking and praying about you all, all week. And I don't have any series planned for this month. And uh, next week, Brother Anthony will be here just, you know, being led of the Lord. But I've just been asking God every week, what do you want me to talk about, God? What's your heart for your people? And this morning, I really just felt this message stick out to me. And it's faith and works. That's the message. Now, everybody say faith. And works. and works. Amen. If you have Facebook, you can get it online or you can go to our blog and uh, see the notes. Otherwise, they'll be up here for you today. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 is going to give us the text for today. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Is one, and if one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical need, what good is it? Okay, let's just pause here and think about the example. He says, What good is it to have faith without works? Imagine if somebody came to you asking for help, and all you said to them is, God bless you, you'll be all right, and you did nothing to help them if it was in your power. That's what he's giving the example. Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. How many people understand that demons believe in God? So if you don't believe in God, you are not as smart as a demon. That's why the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So atheists are what we would say dumber than demons. Not dumber than a doornail, dumber than what? Demons. Okay, because demons understand there's a God. Amen? Amen. And we should be smarter than demons, right? Okay, we love atheists and those that believe that way. It's just according to our Bible. It's foolishness. So verse 19, you believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Useless. Now he's going to give the examples of it. He says, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And that's what I want us to say together on the count of three, that his faith and actions were working together. Let's say that first part of 22 together. One, two, three. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Faith and works. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. How many today want to be called God's friend? Amen. Do you want to be a friend of God? Right? That's what I want to be. It says, verse 24, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. 
So we are to be smarter than demons, and we are to be more righteous than a prostitute. Okay? Because that's what she was. She was a prostitute, but she knew to be obedient. Okay? Look at your neighbor and say, be wiser than a demon. Look to your other neighbor and say, be more righteous than a prostitute. Amen. That's the Bible. Verse 26 concludes the passage. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I want us to say that section together. So the faith without so faith without deeds is dead. Let's say it together. One, two, three. So faith without deeds is dead. Thank you. That is our passage today. Faith and works. In our notes that I have up here, I want you to look at. There are some foundations that you need to have as a Christian. And today in our culture, those foundations are being eroded by other churches, by other cult ministries. There are people vying for your attention to interpret this Word of God a way other than what the Scripture intends. And I, as your shepherd, care for your soul. I don't want you to be deceived by what man is saying or what uh, the devil is using in false teachings. Because the Bible talks about in First and Second Timothy that in the last days there would be false teachers coming to the earth. And they would be giving false gospels and messages. And the Bible says many people would go to them. So I want to give you the foundation of your gospel today. Everybody say faith and works. Faith and works. Thank you. The foundation of salvation. Here's the first thing I want you to get today. If you're taking notes, write this down. Mankind is saved by faith alone in Christ Jesus. And here's the equation. This will help you understand this today. Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Come on. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Now, we know the Bible does not contradict itself. As a matter of fact, I like to look at the Bible as surround sound. If you guys like to watch movies like me and surround sound, it's cool because when you got the speakers behind you and they're walking through the woods, you know, you hear the little creaking of the leaves. And then in front of you... You know, the person comes out and it's like, cool, right? We like surround sound. Yeah. Or like when like, there's Star Wars and those things are going on. And it's like, and it like surrounds you. Come on. See, like I'm a sci-fi geek. I got the new Halo video game. I'm 35. Just pray for me. All you people, okay? So I love all this. I play Halo with the blasting. I snub it. I love surround sound. And I look at the Bible like that. The Bible's not going to contradict itself, but it's going to give different perspectives to the same truth. You'll hear something out of Romans, and you'll hear something out of James, and hear something out of Matthew, and when you put it all together, it's a beautiful presentation. It's the surround sound. Amen? So I do believe that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So faith in Jesus plus nothing equals your salvation. In the passage that we see this in, which actually birthed the Reformation of the, uh, the 1500s, was Martin, Martin Luther and many like him. This is that, that verse. And just uh, listen as I read it. Verse 1 of chapter 5 of Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Everybody say, faith, faith. Plus, nothing plus nothing equals my salvation. Equals my salvation. Amen. That is what Paul spoke. That's foundation number one. You have to build that foundation. The second foundation is equally as important, and that is the proper role of good works. What do you do now as a Christian with your faith? 
Those who are truly saved will keep God's commands and have a life of good works. Now here's the equation for that. Faith in Jesus plus obedience equals good works. We are now, as Christians, supposed to live a good life. And then somebody might say, well, I'm just a Christian by my faith, and I'm not going to do anything else after that because Jesus did everything. You are being disobedient. By your faith in Christ, because you're yes. saved, you now are to be obedient, and that yes. equals good works. Yes. So good works should be following the Christian. Yes. I want you to look to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 8 through 10, or simply here we read it. Because this is the passage that gives us that perspective. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. By what have we been saved? By grace. grace. You have been saved through what? Faith. faith. So it's by grace, grace through faith. faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Let's say it again. To do what? Good works. Thank you. Thank you what God prepared in advance for us to do. So now we are getting a full understanding of the Christian life. Sometimes what people like to say is faith plus works equals salvation. And that is not true. Faith plus nothing equals salvation. Amen. That is true in and of itself. There is a foundation, a pillar. As we see here, there's two pillars. This pillar is true. Faith plus nothing equals salvation. That is how you're saved. But then yet there is another pillar holding up your Christian life that says faith in Jesus plus obedience equals good works. The Christian life is built on both of those principles, which brings us now to some of the errors that are found in Christianity, and you might have heard them from either your friends, through other pastors, through leaders, and if you're not careful, these errors come into your life, they will affect how you live. Your theology, how you believe about God and the Bible, will affect how you live out your life. Let me give you the two errors that people make when they hear these scriptures. They kind of pit them against each other, against each other to create a contradiction. Works salvation. Everybody say works salvation. Works salvation. Do you know that Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Scientology, the Hindu faith, Islam all have this in common. They believe in a works mentality towards salvation. Muslims pray five times a day, working out their salvation. Mormons are following these rules so that they may be saved. Next time a Jehovah Witness knocks on your door, ask them if they have assurance that if they die, they go to heaven. The same thing in the Roman Catholic Church through the sacraments and the daily, uh, the, the continual taking of communion. They believe that they are participating every week in helping Christ save them. These are all lies, and this is how it comes out. Salvation is have faith. And half good works. Faith in Christ plus good works equals salvation. Everybody go, uh, wrong. wrong. That may make sense to you. You may believe that you're going to participate with God. You may understand that there are things you're supposed to do. But if it comes down to that, you are incorrect. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in the book of Galatians that if you believe any other gospel other than the one Jesus preached, which is faith in God plus nothing equals salvation. Paul said if you believe anything else, faith in God plus the saints equals salvation. Faith in God plus knocking on doors equals salvation. Faith in God plus praying, praying five times a day equals salvation. Galatians chapter 
chapter 1 says you will be eternally condemned. Having it half right on the gospel will not get you in. You cannot be half a Christian. Are you all listening to me? You have to believe this gospel. A gospel that says you must work to be saved is not a gospel at all. It is a false gospel. But then on the other side... There is another false gospel I like to call that the sinning saints. Everybody say sinning saints. <laughs> this is the belief that now good works are not necessary in the Christian life. The equation for them would be faith in Christ minus good works still equals salvation. That because I've been saved by faith, no transformation now is needed. Because I've been saved by this mystical union between me, me and Christ, now all I need to do is just soak in His grace and kindness all day long. And if any sins I've committed or will commit, uh, then it's okay because He's pardoned them all anyway. I'm on the gospel ship to heaven. I might as well make it the love boat. <laughs> but that's a false gospel as well. And that is what James is coming against. This idea that you're going to have faith in Christ and then minus subtract good works away from that life in Christ and you're still on the gospel ship is a devil's lie. Right, yeah. Who believes that? The owners of clubs. The people that want you to get drunk and live a lascivious lifestyle but go to church with them on Sunday. Hypocrites believe this. This is found in every major form of the Christian faith right now in different kinds of churches. And I even think that Calvinism, a false belief by John Calvin, gives, gives people a theological framework of this which says, I'm already saved, I can do what I want. And so this hypocritical Christianity has no power. It's so watered down it has no cure for your or sin disease. So what do we say then? We say that good works are necessary, or excuse me, good works are not necessary to being saved, but they are necessary to displaying your salvation and proving your faith genuine. You're not saved by the good things you do, but it's the good things you do by Christ's grace that, ex uh, that makes genuine your faith, that exemplifies your faith. You are required to be obedient to Christ. Amen. How do I know that? That's what Jesus says. John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And then lastly, as we read in our text, the conclusion then is faith without works is dead. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Faith without works is dead. That's what I want you to hear today as the introduction to this passage. That we at Metro Praise, we need to understand the foundation. We are saved by faith in Christ Jesus, by His grace. There's no good works we can do. Now that's encouragement to all of us here. Because that means there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. He did it all. You don't have to pray this many times a day, fast this many times a day. Take on this aesthetic lifestyle. Work your way to heaven and hope maybe you'll get purgatory. And somebody will pray you off by lighting candles under the Fullerton Bridge with a water stain that looks like the mother of Guadalupe. You have to understand that you are saved despite all those things. Despite all that, you're saved. And in the same breath, in the same passage, by the same Spirit, by our same God, He says, now demonstrate your faith by your good works. Amen. If you're ready for the passage breakdown, somebody say, break it down. Break it down. Amen. Let's, uh, you don't need the notes for this, but put up the passage, please, for me, Ellie. And everyone open up their Bibles or look to the screen. I would prefer you to do both. So if you have a Bible, open back up to James 2. 
14 as I break this passage down by God's grace to help you live out the Christian life. Put your faith in Jesus Christ to be saved and put your faith in Jesus Christ to obey Him. Amen. Obey Him. Yeah. Let the commands of God be a joy to your yeah. soul and not a burden. Amen? Yeah. Verse 14, What good is it, my brother, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? James challenges the false belief that Christians can live a Christian life without following Christ's commands. Can you be a Christian without following Christ? No! You have to follow Christ to be a Christian. So what he is, is contradicting here is what people would say in our day and age if we see them at Bourbon Street, uh, they're at Mardi Gras, they're drunk, and, and we tell them, you have to follow God's command. And they say, well, I'm saved. I go to church. What we're saying to them is, what good is it to make your proclamation of faith if you have no good deeds to back it up? Will that faith save you? No, it won't. According to James, no, it won't. That faith is a false faith. I like to differentiate now between faith and make-believe. You see, faith is in God's Word producing action in our lives. Make-believe is just throwing coins into a wishing well hoping things will change. Wishing you're a millionaire doesn't make you one, does it? Wishing that you look like Jennifer Lopez or Brad Pitt doesn't make you look like them, does it? Simply saying, I wish I was a Christian, doesn't make you one. True faith in Jesus Christ is a transformational faith. Let me give you the example. The man who's doing the carnival tricks. A lot of you have heard this example, but I love it. He's doing the unicycle across the tightrope. He's way high up, and the people come out and cheer. He says, do you guys think I can do it blindfolded? They cheer even louder. He puts on the blindfold, and he, he rides his unicycle on the tightrope. He then gets everybody excited, and he says, hey, do you think I can cross over the river, this high ravine in town, and do it? And they get all excited. He says, without any safety nuts. And they say, yes, you can do it. So he says, meet me out there tomorrow. So the unicycler from the circus, he goes out there by the river. He sets up his tightrope. The crowds gather around, kind of like an evil Knievel thing. He's shouting to them, do you believe I can do it? They shout back, yeah. Do you believe I can do it blindfolded? Yeah. Do you believe I can do it with somebody on my shoulders? Oh, and they go into pandemonium. Yeah! And then he points to the one that's screaming the loudest. And he says, hop on. Let's go for a ride. See, that's true faith. See, up until that point, everybody was just a bystander, hoping and wishing. But the moment that man pointed to the loudest screamer, the loudest fan, and said, now come on, let's go. For that person to get on the unicycler who's blind and ride across the ravine, that is faith. Yes. And I believe a lot of you here today and, and your friends and family have been confused by a shouting fan-like faith, but not a trusting, committing faith to Jesus Christ. And you need to know there's a difference. It's not just, Woo, I'm on Jesus' team, I'm going to heaven, I love Jesus. The faith that saves a person is the faith that commits their entire life to Him and makes Him the Lord of their life. It's a committal faith. That's why James says, you think the person who just claims to have faith, that will save him? No, it won't. You look further at 1 John. I want you to turn there with me. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. John 
sees the same problem here. In his day and age, people were saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But they weren't obeying God's commands. And we know John was the beloved disciple of Jesus. So if anybody really loved Jesus, it would be this guy. He actually wrote the Gospel of John, John 3.16. He also wrote in 1 John 4 that God is love. So obviously, John, this apostle knows about love and knows all about grace and forgiveness. But he has an offense. And his offense is people are saying they love my God, my Jesus, but they're not obeying him. Look at what he says. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Everybody say a liar. I think he was a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know. Somebody say, this is how we know. Come on, this is how we know we are in him. Verse 6, and if you haven't, look at it and let's read it together. One, two, three. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. How am I to walk? Like the TV preacher, like the Pope, the priest, the Mormon. How am I to walk? Like Jesus walked. I'm not supposed to walk like anybody else. You can go to hell if you want to. You can try to be cute if you want to. You can shake it like you want to with Katy Perry and put a cross on your neck and say you're still going to heaven. I said the devil is alive. Everybody here has got to make a choice. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to live like? John said it. It's tight, but it's right. All who claim to be in Christ must walk as he walked. Must walk as our Jesus walked. Now, is that an impossible task that we can never do? Without Christ, we can't. But in Christ, we can. We can walk as he walked. We can obey his commands. His commands are no longer a burden. And so the Bible is clearly speaking to us. James is pointing it out in that quadraphonic stereo system of our surround sound. We're hearing over here, we're saved by faith. But we're hearing over here, our faith better produce action. Otherwise, we're just liars with our pants on fire. And that won't be the only thing on fire, amen? Go on down, keep reading. Suppose, verse 15 of that passage of James, a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Do we understand this example? It's pretty simple, right? Somebody's hungry. Maybe they don't have clothes. And it says, if one of you says to them, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical need, what good is it? The illustration he gives us is very simple. He says, somebody comes to you and says, man, I'm hungry. I don't have any clothes. They're naked. You're like, okay, what's going on? You know, that's what's happening. They don't have any clothes. They don't have any food. They're just like, I'm hungry. I'm naked. Do you just say back to them, God bless you, brother. God bless you. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm just going to tell you I love you. You just go run along now. Just go run along with your little naked self. No. He, he makes it so obvious to us because it's like everybody has some extra food or clothes, right? Yeah. Come on, let just look at your neighbor and see what they got on. They got some, there's some extra stuff on. Most people got an extra shirt on, and, you know, extra jacket. Some of you don't. But you know what I'm saying. And look at your other neighbor and see they've been eating a little bit extra food. Most people have been eating a little bit extra. Got a little turkey neck. It's all right. Hey, man, I got all my muscle down here. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I got extra for you. I can share. I ain't going to starve. We all got something that you can even see it in our closets more so, in our refrigerators more so. And so his, his point is, you have the power and ability to help this person, but you don't. And you play religion. You play and pretend to be spiritual when you do nothing about it. The same thing is with obeying God's commands. He, he's making it that obvious and that clear. 
All of you here can obey God's commands. All of you can. All of you can stop lying. All of you can stop having an adulterous affair. All of you can stop being bitter. All of you, through Christ, it's made available to you right now. It is yours. It's all there. And for you to simply just proclaim your faith now and say, I love Jesus, but I'm still shacking up. I love Jesus, but I still steal hours from my job clocking in when I'm really not there. I love Jesus, but I still talk about people behind their back. For you to do that, you look as foolish as the person with a big belly, three layers of clothes on, saying, I ain't got nothing for you. I'll just talk to you later. Come on. Look at it. Verse 7. Uh, 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. If you don't put action to your faith in Jesus Christ, it's dead. You're truly not living the genuine Christian life. You see, faith by itself must be accompanied by action, thus proving the faith genuine and valid. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're playing make-believe. We're simply making statements that have no backing or validation. And the Bible is not calling us all to uh, dream a dream in Disney World and sing It's a Wonderful World, you know, down the little stream there, and, and, and just pretend that we're Christians and pretend we're in church for a little while, and, you know, uh, that this is somehow the pinnacle of our Christianity is, oh, I came to church. Your life. Supposed to be obedient to Christ. Everybody say faith and works. Faith and works. Thank you. Verse 18. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have deeds. And so now we see an argument beginning to happen. And this is what we see when we preach like this. Is somebody will go, okay, well, you know, you're kind of better at that keeping the command type stuff, but I'm really good at the faith type stuff. You know? Like when I close my eyes, I can see heaven and the Emerald City. I can see the angel Gabriel. I can just imagine him going by up there. There's like tennis courts. Oh, man. But you're really good at like not lying and loving your wife as, your, as, as Christ does. You see, you're really good at doing that stuff. I'm good at make-believe. Okay. We're both Christians. That's what, they're, that's what the argument is. Are you guys with me? And, and, and there's some churches today that are really getting into this, kind of like these charismatic granola Christians or fruits, nuts, and flakes, and they just want to get together and dream about all these visions they're having and talk about taking celestial trips for spiritual treasures with Jacques Cousteau and the deep things of God. And they're like, oh, the rest of you guys keeping God's commands, you're just funny buddies. You're not able to join us on, on you know, this Trekkie sci-fi spiritual journey. And Paul, uh, excuse me, James answers back this misconception with a rebuke. That's where we hear this very bold rebuke. Because someone says, well, I have faith, you have deeds. He says, show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God good. Even demons believe that and shudder. He says, you're playing make-believe? Now let me put you to test in your little make-believe world. Prove it. Do something with what you're talking about. Put some walking to your talking. Husbands, you say you love Jesus, show it to your wives. Parents, you say you love Jesus, show it to your children. Children, you say you love Jesus, prove it to your parents. Metro prayers, you say you love Jesus, display it like a city, like a light on a city on a hill to all of Chicago and the world. Let us prove our faith by our actions. Because even a demon believes in God. 
And yet he does what most people don't. He shudders. These demons have a fear of God that we don't even have in this generation because we're playing with the idea that God won't judge us on our actions, but God will judge us on our make-believe. That somehow when we come up to heaven, he's going to look at our heart. Oh, you know what? Never mind how I curse all the time. Never mind how I'm a drunkard, I lie and steal. But God knows my heart. And so we think when we get to heaven, what that means God knows my heart is God is going to play make-believe with you. He's going to say, oh yeah, I know you really wanted to do this, but you couldn't. But I knew your heart and that you really loved these things. That's what the Bible says. He's not going to judge us on our imaginations, woulda, coulda, shoulda. He's going to judge you on what you did. Read the end of the book, please, and you'll see it. You look here at this verse. The most important statement of the text is given right here in verse 17. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead, thus proving that genuine faith must be considered genuine by the actions. When you look at verse 18, and then somebody picks this argument against each other, James then points out to the skeptic that faith is, the, is, is dead without action because action is the only way to prove your faith. And here's a, an example I'd like to give you. If somebody would make the claim today, I'm a professional basketball player, how would you test that claim? By what they do on the court. Right? right? If I made the claim to you I'm a millionaire, how would you back up that or prove that claim? By what's in my bank account. Hello? Why is it any different with Christ? That's what he's telling us. If you're claiming it, then you ought to live it. The way we would test the claim of someone saying, I'm a professional basketball player, is by watching their skill, by watching them play. And it's the same thing in the Christian life. Though we are not saved by our good works, we are proving our salvation genuine, working out from it with these good works, and we're proving it to the world ourselves and the devils of hell that God does transform and save. God doesn't just take junk to heaven. He transforms junk into trouble. And he shows off that treasure to this earth. God wants a holy priesthood. He wants a chosen people to shine forth this kingdom of light and dispel the darkness. He wants there to be salt in this world, light in the darkness. Are you listening to me? And you are that masterpiece, that workmanship that God's displaying to the world. So live like it. Let your actions be a verification of your confession. You keep reading verse 20, you foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? See, what he now is doing is he's saying, you are a fool. If you think you can prove your faith without using your deeds, and he says, don't be proved to you how foolish it is? Look at Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith, is he not, according to the Old Testament? It's not a trick question. Is Abraham the father of faith? That's what we consider him to be. I know I do. I don't know who you consider to be the father of faith. Consider Abraham. And you learned about him when we went through our Cloud of Witnesses series. He was a pagan. God calls him to leave his people and then to follow Christ. And then he gives him what would seem to be the most craziest command of all. To sacrifice the chosen son, Isaac, the child of promise. But now James is going to set this action up to be a display to the skeptic that says, I make claims, but don't back it up. He's going to make his point through Abraham, and he's going to say, basically, did Abraham just proclaim his faith, or did he demonstrate it in obedience? 
And just like how the obedience of helping somebody eat and have clothes is so simple, now he's going to prove that obedience is supposed to happen even if it's so complicated and you don't understand it in the sense of sacrifice your child. Because so often we say, well, I have faith and I keep these commands, but I don't have enough faith to keep all of these hard commands. And God is showing through Abraham, if Abraham could keep the most intense, hardest unreasonable command to sacrifice his son. You can shut down that pornography account, sir. Ma'am, you can stop gossiping. Teenagers, you can start obeying your parents because your faith is worthless unless you got some action behind you. Amen? He says, when in verse 21, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous? Everybody say righteous. That means he did what was right for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Yeah, you know, you look back and we all can be wrong in this, so we don't want to be holier than thou, like to admit we wouldn't fall into this error. So let's put ourselves in the skeptic's mind. Maybe you've been arguing this way where I have faith and I don't need to live it and, you know, God still loves me. And I'm going to relate to you just for a, a moment because, because if I was thinking that way and believing maybe what a, another religion or somebody else told me or some backslider last night told me, I might be convinced by that. Yeah, Jesus loves me. All my sins are forgiven. It doesn't matter. But when I come to Abraham, it begins to change the way I think now. Because Abraham wasn't selling drugs and he wasn't stealing. Abraham, by all accounts of his culture, was a good man. Right? He's a good man. Think of what you would call a good man. Somebody comes on time to, to work, says nice things. That was Abraham. Yet God says to Abraham, I've got a command. I want you to obey. And you're not going to like it. But I want to test your faith to see if you really believe in me and if you'll obey this. What does that say to you? God tests your faith by your actions. And some of the things you face may be hard, like Abraham's. I know I'm preaching at you a little bit, but it may be hard. I hope you can walk out of here being convinced that if God gave Abraham the ability to do what seemed to be impossible, he'll do it for you. He says in verse 22, see that his faith and his actions were working together. See, faith and actions were doing what? Working together. Faith and action, they do what? Work together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Everybody say complete. Or in another way, a words, perfected. His faith was perfected by what he did. Another example of this, comparing it to the army, what Abraham went to, imagine someone making the confession, I'm in the army. How would you know that to be true if they obey the rules in the army? Can you stay in the army breaking the rules of the army? I mean, we have a sergeant here, a drill sergeant. You can ask them, how long will you stay in this army breaking rules? Somebody might say, well, you know, they can break rules for a little bit of what? Until they get caught. But if the supervisor knows the moment they're breaking the rules, how long will that last? It won't. Now here's the point. In God, how long can your faith be true if you keep breaking His commands when He knows everything you're doing? It's not true. It doesn't work. So the only person you're deceiving, my friends, is yourself. Because God's not playing make-believe with you. He's not in the backyard with you putting on a little hat, putting some stuff on your eyes, going bang, bang, shoot him up, playing he's in the army with you. He's not coming to church pretending he's your father, pretending he's your God when you're raising all your hands. He's looking at you going, I got a son of the devil here raising their hands to me. 
And they're not even as smart as demons because they don't fear my name and shudder when my presence comes into a building. So God's not playing make-believe with you. The point that we get here by Abraham is that your faith must work together with your obedience. It has to. It has to for it to be complete. And then you see in verse 43, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. How long would I be your friend if I kept stealing from you? How long would I be your friend if I kept having an affair with your wife or your husband? Oh Lord. <laughs> Thank God this is just an illustration. But I want to see if you guys were up. Okay? So me and Tom were hanging out all the time. How long would we be friends, you know, man? Come on. How long would we be friends if I kept stealing from you? You might say, I love you, like I love my enemy, but you would not consider me your friend. Is God any different? God has enemies. You say, oh, no, that's not true. You've got to keep reading the book of James. Let me just share this with you. Uh, look at the book of James, uh, chapter 2, or rather verse, verses prior to this. Uh, James chapter 2, let me just find it right here. It's not James 2. It is James chapter 4. So it is following. Look at James 4 because he's rebuking these same people. Look at verses uh, 4 and onward of James 4. Please put it up there. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of who? Becomes an enemy of who? So does God have enemies? Yes. yes. Does God have friends? Yes. Who are you? Friends. Boom. Come on. Live like it. Yes. Come on. Live like it. Right. If you're his friend, act like his friend. Right. Let's say, you know, I'm friends with some of the Boricuas here. You know, we go out to Humble Park. Come on. We go to Borinquens. We have some Ibaritos and some Aros Cocatules. You know what I'm saying? We get down with it, man. I'm just trying to fit in. But then all of a sudden, let's pretend there's a KKK rally in Humble Park. And they're there for one reason only, to express their hatred towards Puerto Ricans. And they go as far to call them mutts and dogs. And they hold up these signs and say, all you Puerto Ricans, go back to your kennels. Go back to your island. If I was your friend and you saw me out there holding up that sign, how long would we be friends? Hello? That's what it would go, get down like that. Come on. How long? How long would we be friends if I stood in opposition to who you are? The attributes of God show us who He is. As the Truth Project is teaching us, it's, it's kind of like a telescope to heaven. We get to see through His attributes who He is, and we, we learn that God is love, and God is truth, and God is justice, and God is compassion, and God is righteous. And then when we say we know that God, and we don't live righteous, and we don't have compassion, and we don't have love, He says, you're not my friend, you're a friend of the world, and you're an enemy towards me. Dear God, be a friend of God today. Amen? Yes. Let's keep going in that passage. You're almost there. Look at your neighbor and say, we're almost there. Okay. We're going to get to the conclusion, but I want you to see it one more time. Verse 24. You see that a person is not justified by what he does. Excuse me. You know that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. 
At this moment, some of you are brought back to the, the solas of the Reformation. And what this means is during the time of the Reformation, when we broke away from the Roman Catholic Church, if you want to know why we're not today in a cathedral, it's because we broke away in the 1500s from the Roman Catholics. We said that the Pope, he was using his powerful political reasons, that the priests were having us confess to them, and they were but mere men corrupted, and we should go to God, and that men were putting up saints and idols all over the church, but God said, pray to no one but God, not to marry his brother or anybody else. Are you listening? Well, what happened at that time is these great reformers, Martin Luther and the others, they began to come up with what they would say in Latin, the solas. And it was sola de fideo, sola de fideo, it's solely by faith. Sola de scriptura, we're only going to live by the Bible. So we're not going to live by the works of Catholicism. We're not going to believe the, the, uh, the opinions of man. And, and, and one of the things that they said, it's by faith alone and Christ alone, like we say in our creed, by His grace alone that we're saved. By faith through Christ, by His grace, we're saved. And the Roman Catholics were trying to say, yeah, but you have to get baptized as a child. You have to come to confession. You have to keep taking the Mass, transubstantiation. If you're not eating the literal bread of His flesh and drinking the literal uh, blood through the wine, you're not saved. And, and the Reformers were going, no, that's not what the Bible says. We're saved by faith alone. The man on the cross, he did none of those things, and he was with God in paradise that day. Amen. But now we have James, the half-brother of Jesus. If you didn't know that Mary had other children, James and Jude are full brothers from Joseph and Mary's relationships. Jude writes another great book of the Bible. And Jesus is their half-brother. And these are probably the same brothers that mocked Jesus, that said, hey, if you're really the Lord and Savior of the, of the world, why don't you go to the Feast of Tabernacles and go show yourself there? And Jesus said, my time's not come. And the brothers went without us. So these were those mocking brothers. But as we go through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, we learn that God exalts these men. They become the leaders of the church. And James over Peter. That's how we know the Pope never existed through Peter. James was the leader making the final decisions. But now we seem to have a problem because James is now standing against Paul. The great Jewish theologian that studied under Gamaliel who is now teaching it's faith alone. It's faith alone. If they tell you you have to have faith plus circumcision, they're wrong. If they're telling you you have to have faith plus holy days, they're wrong. If they're telling you you have to have faith plus a diet, they're wrong. It's faith alone. It's faith alone. And, and, and even during the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther began to even question the validity, the inspiration, the inerrancy of the book of James. He was going so far into this idea that he was saying James might not even belong in the Bible because it caused him a confusion because of this statement right here. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. It's like, hold on, I thought I was justified by believing, not by what I do. But here's now where you've got to kind of sit back and put on the stereo system. Because you balance it out with what Paul said in another place outside of Romans and Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there with me please as we wrap it together and see that the Bible isn't contradicting itself. But they're simply expressing it in different ways. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 10. And would you put it up there? Thank you. You are on top of it today. And we'll tell Andrew you did a good job. Let's give it up for Ellie. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10, and you'll see the complete sound of Scripture. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. That's salvation, isn't it? Well, there's no contradiction there, but now let's see what Paul says. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. Are they in contradiction to each other? No, they're just two pillars. James is emphasizing the one pillar that's saying faith plus obedience equals good works. And if you don't have obedience in your faith and you have no good works, then that means you don't have this pillar. He's not questioning the pillar of faith alone for salvation. What the justification, the righteousness that he's talking about there is the righteousness of doing good, good things, obeying God's commands. And so we see clearly here in his conclusion when he now brings up the prostitute in verse 25, he says in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different directions? Uh, this is in the book of Judges. The spies are coming into the land and they're spying it out and they're going to decide whether or not they're going to conquer uh, the land. And uh, here, this woman who's a prostitute, she's a pagan. She doesn't really even believe in God. But she hears the, the, the men coming to spy out the land and she goes, I'll help you because I've heard the stories that God was with you in the times of Egypt. So by simply <laughs> acting in obedience, she showed her faith. It didn't matter if she was a prostitute. God responded to her at that moment. And so now what do we see in closing? That even prostitutes, even wicked, vile sinners can please God when they have faith in Him. Because we're not working to become better. She didn't say, well, I'm going to stop being a prostitute. I'm going to stop doing this. And then I'm going to start obeying God's commands. A lot of times we think to ourselves, we're going to stop doing sins and then start obeying God. And then we'll have salvation. And so it's kind of like you're going to clean your car up real good and then bring it to the car wash. Because you don't want anybody at the car wash to think you got a dirty car. So it's like, I'm not ready for church yet. I'm still working on myself over here. I'm not ready to go to life group yet because I'm still working on myself over here. No, come to church as a prostitute, baby. Come just as you T.I. is, as you tis, and start obeying Christ. Got about four or five people. Come on, somebody say amen. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You come however you are, but you leave like how he is. Yes, Jesus loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And then he concludes, very similar to verse 17 and verse 26. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead. So when the, the spirit departs the body, your body is dead, right? We know that. When we, when we go to a funeral and we see a body there, we know that's not the person. Where is the person in heaven or hell, right? Because their spirit and their soul are one, and they go to heaven or hell when they die. Here's his last illustration. He says, just like your body is not alive without a spirit, so your faith is not alive unless you have deeds. And the application for us today in closing is this. Number one, have faith in Jesus for salvation. Build that pillar in your life today. Let him do it. Say, Christ Jesus, I can't save myself. I come to you as a prostitute, messed up. I come with my own sins like Rahab. But Lord, I put faith in you to save me today. You will be saved this day. Like the thief on the cross, you will be saved. Not because you go and start doing good things. The thief didn't have to get off the cross and go be baptized and do all these things to prove his salvation. The moment he was there, he said, Christ, I want to be with you. I put my faith in you. He said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Receive Christ as your Savior. And then... By saying then. Because you're not transported to heaven yet, right? It's like, whoop, beat me up, Scotty, beat me up, Gabriel, whoop, I'm there, you're not there yet. Just look at your camera and go, whoop, okay, you're not there yet. So what do you do down here? Do you just soak in the glory and just play and make believe with God? No, you obey his commands. Get up and start living like Jesus.
us. Do what He did. Have faith in Jesus to obey His commands. Would you stand up and give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? Come on, man. Would you know? Amen. I want to encourage you today. No matter where you are, put your faith in Jesus for salvation and start obeying His commands. How many know, without raising your hands, you don't have to raise your hands, but I want to ask you a question from heart to heart. Okay? Just hear my heart as I ask this. How many of you know that there are commands you're not following? You, do, you don't have to raise your hand in a minute. We're not going to have you confess it or anything. I just want to ask you a heart-to-heart question. What God is saying to you, Berta, would you come and grab this for me, please? What He is saying to you is that He will give you the power to obey His commands. That obeying His command is not a trick. It's not like He's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make this real easy. All you want to do is come to church one day and say you believe in me, and then you're saved. And then the next week, the pastor is going to give you 150 impossible things for you to do to make me happy. And you'll never be able to do it for the next 50 years of your life. All you're going to do is come to church every week and feel bad that you don't do those things. No, that's good. Who wants to get saved? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, I'm going to save you by simple faith, and now for the rest of your life, you're going to work on this thing by yourself. You're going to be the you know, the slave daughter, stepdaughter there of Cinderella. Is that Cinderella? Because my kids got all these princess stories in my head. Cinderella? Like you're just going to be like, oh my goodness, I come to church. It's like, man, you were happier being a sinner, right? Like you weren't even thinking like how bad you were when you were a sinner. You're just like, man, you know, whatever. But now you're a Christian. You feel so terrible all the time. That's not Christianity. But Christianity on the other end is not saying, well, come live for Jesus and then now do whatever you want because Jesus just loves you. There's a balance. You guys get what I'm saying? There's an enemy to not say a balance, but there's a truth that's in the middle of those two lies. And the truth is how you get saved, whenever that day was, how, how you accepted salvation by faith, when you came forward and your life was broken and you're just like, God, I need you. And I know you're speaking to me. You're real. This is your word. You died for me. And I want to be your friend. And I want to live for you. When you came to God with that faith, you were saved. And now that faith this is God, I love you. I, I, I don't want to break your commands. I don't want to do this. Change my life. That faith is what then transforms you. It's that faith that keeps you serving Him. It's always by faith. So don't look at like faith's over here. That's the fun thing I do when I got saved. And then now works is over here. That's the miserable stuff I do for the rest of my life. How many of you here love somebody? Your wife, your mom, your dad, yourself? Right? Do you do things for them? What motivates you? That love. What motivates you is that love. Nobody tells me I have to go jump on a trampoline today with my girls because the weather's sad. Nobody makes me, pushes me out there. Now you go be a good dad and jump on the trampoline and act a fool with them. I love making a fool out of myself there on the trampoline because I love them. I am doing things to please them. Five commandments that we all struggle with in all of our lives. Thou shalt not lie. We all have at times been tempted to lie. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We all get tempted with sexual perversion. Thou shalt not steal. 
We all get tempted to steal something. Tax season's coming up. A lot of people get tempted to steal by telling the government the wrong number. Do not covet. We all get tempted to covet after what each other has. Look what they have. I, I should have that. They shouldn't have that. Jealousy. And then put no other gods before me. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We struggle with that. Those are like the five main ones I just would talk to you about today. There's a lot of other commands in the Bible. But I would just say, if you could just start there and use that as an example today in the lesson, you can start to see faith and works. You can start to see faith come alive by your obedience. You can start to see transformation in your life genuinely right now instead of just this false confession. Instead of just this idea, well, I'll never lie. You know, anybody, we can all say, I'll never lie, I'll never do this. But does it really act out in your everyday life? No, you need to have faith and let God work it out through your everyday life. Amen. Faith is not just shouting it out here. I'll never be a liar. I'll never I'll lust again. No, faith is trusting God not to look twice at that woman when you're in the grocery store in the mall. Faith is to not covet, to not allow jealousy to come up when you didn't get the promotion and somebody else did. It's at those moments of your life that you have to be like Abraham and go, God's telling me to do something like sacrifice my son, and I don't get it, and I don't even know if I can do it, but I'll trust Him. I'll just do it until He tells me to stop. Until He tells me something else, that's what I'll do. You see, it's that, that's faith. And going back to that illustration, the, the person who's getting on the unicycle, they're not wheeling those wheels down the road. They're simply just holding on. They're simply trusting and believing that that journey is going to end well. God is not saying, I need your help to get you to heaven. What He's saying is just trust me on from here to there. Put your faith in me. And sometimes you're like, God, I get scared. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to be my worst enemy and mess this whole thing up. This whole thing up and I go through a valley. And He says, even if you walk through the valley of shadow of death, don't fear. My rod and my staff will comfort you. Amen? Amen. Let's just bow our head and close and pray today. Father, we come to you in the awesome, mighty name of Jesus. Yes, we ask you today, by your precious Holy Spirit, to lead us, God, into this concept of faith and works. Altar workers, would you come, please? Come on, as I'm praying right now, I want to ask you, what do you need to do for God? What are you going to do? Are you going to put your faith in Him? You're going to start being obedient to Him. Where, where's your struggle today? Come on, be honest. And start acting on it right now. Release your faith. Some of you just got to start with simple faith and say, I believe to be saved. I believe that God's going to change my life. I believe that God's going to do it. Come on, start there. Others of you, you know you're saved, but you haven't been living it. You need to repent. Hebrews 10.26, didn't get a time and chance to read it. But it says, if you keep going on that direction, keep sinning willfully after you've accepted Christ, there's no sacrifice for your sins left anymore. Some people are on that edge right now. And I'm saying to you, come back. Don't come back in your own strength like you're going to do better, you're going to work hard. I'm saying come back in faith for God to do good works for you. Do you do you need faith for salvation today or faith for good works? Where are you at? And if you know who you are, just start to raise your hand and, and call out to God and say, Lord, increase my faith. Come on, if you need to be saved, say, Lord, increase my faith unto salvation so I don't leave out of here until I'm saved. My faith in you will save me today by the blood of Jesus Christ. And for those of you who need to Stop breaking God's commands. Come on, raise up your hands and say, Lord, increase my faith to keep your 
righteous today. All those that have faith with works are the friends of God. May we hear the surround sound of heaven today, bidding you to come and to change and to become like Christ by faith in Jesus. Let us hear the gospel today that bids you to come and be transformed. Yes, Lord, not of your own self, but of the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we get ready to close, would you look up at me, please? These prayer workers will be up here to pray for anything in your life, today's message, regarding today's message or anything. But I want to encourage you with this today as I was being encouraged that sometimes this may be for only a few of you, but i got to share it from my heart, um, that we have been serving the Lord for, for many years. You know, for me, it's, it's uh, over 17 years now. Sometimes we forget that pillar and we just think about works all the time and then we lose faith in it, uh, faith in works, and then works just become a drudgery, just a chore. And I want to encourage some of you who may be feeling what I felt in that and to ask God to give you back your first love. We're praying. It's not a chore anymore. I know if you're like me and you're disciplined, you want to pray an hour a day and read your Bible an hour a day and tell one person about Jesus a day. For some of you, you may have to pause on that journal and just say, God, just help me to fall in love with you again. Just you and me without time clocks and, and, and making it happen so I can feel justified. And as I've been doing that, the last couple of weeks, I've been finding such a joy again. And just serving God, but it's by faith. It's not of myself. I just wanted to share that with you. Amen. Would you hold somebody's hand? Let's close out in prayer as a family today. Father, let us learn the, uh, the concept, the theology of walking this out with faith and works. God, I pray that it will be uh, in our heart today of what Paul and James said, to live like you. Lord, I pray for our families and our friends that they will see the transformation of our lives and the evidence of our confession. And by it, you will receive glory and lives will be changed. Because what you do to us, you want to do through us. Let this city see a life of believers, a church of believers with lives changed. Bless us as we go our separate ways, God. In your precious name we pray, in Jesus' name. Can you give him one more hand up of praise and say amen? Amen. Look at your neighbor. Give him a high five and say, do work. Come on, do some work. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. Come on up if you would like to do that with us. Otherwise, we'll see you at Life Groups. Have a wonderful day. God bless you.